you go back there, you get stuck, and you can't find your way back. All right, guys, good morning. I uh, hope we're doing well. Uh, we uh, had Easter last week, had a great Easter service, and uh, good time with all our Easter weekend things. Big thanks to everyone who came out and helped. Get, listen, our Easter egg hunt, phenomenal. Good Friday, phenomenal, all kinds of stuff. There was a lot of people who come, came and helped out with all of that. So big thanks for everybody who did that. Appreciate it. So, uh, so we, we, for the past, I don't even know how many weeks it took. I need to go look that up. But we, for the longest time, have been uh, in Genesis. When we walked through Genesis together, which I really enjoyed. Hope you did. Um, and we had Easter last week. This week, we kind of have a one-off sermon. And then next week, we're going to start a new series, which I'm excited about. And so you'll hear more about that coming up. But this week, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where you should turn if you have your Bibles. A text should be on the screen. If you don't, no worries. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23 here in just a moment. One of the things that happens when you get married, many of you in this room know this, is uh, you begin to see all of the little things that you thought were normal, and this is the way you do it, and then you begin to see how people, other, your wife and your spouse and your husband whatever, uh, does it differently. And you begin to see all these little things that were different. For example, some people push the toothpaste up from the bottom, some people push it up from the middle, some people just squeeze it. Some people roll it, right? Some people wrongly think that the toilet paper should hang underneath when that should hang over the top. Amen? Amen? All right. All right. Hey, can I get some light? I want to see these beautiful people. If I could get a little house light, that'd be amazing. Uh, Sometimes, so this one was weird for me. Like, uh, when you put the cups, so you take them out of the dishwasher and you put them, you know, up in the cabinet, do you put the opening down or up? Does anybody put it up? Okay, okay. That's how I grew up, but that's not how we do it now. Oh, wait, no, wait, maybe it's the other way. How do we put them in there? We put them up. That seems weird to me because, you know, a bug could crawl in it. Same. <laughs> Somebody's going home and changing all their cups around when they get home. <laughs> I did find a actually really gross bug in one of our cups one time. I never told you about it. We should turn them upside down. That is disgusting. I know. <laughs> and, you know, the list goes on and on about all the different things. You know, some people think their laundry should go in the basket. Other people think it just goes on the floor. Rightly, it goes on the floor. And then you pick it up when you're ready, right? Men. But the list goes on and on. When you begin to talk about it and ask, well, why is it you do it this way or that way? And the answer is really we don't necessarily have a reason. It's just, well, that's just how I grew up doing it. That's just the way I do it, the way I like it. It's just the way it's always been done. And the Lord's Supper, I think, is often the same way. We kind of know like what the Lord's Supper is about. Body, blood, like we got that, right? But we've always done it. We've just always done it this way, and it's just something we do, and why do we do this, and how often should we do it, and and is it important, and what does it mean, and why do we do it? This morning, I want to look at the topic of the Lord's Supper and answer, what is it, and why do we do it, and is it important? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul the apostle writes as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit these words. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. When you're single and you are really into a certain girl or guy, and you're trying to figure out how to win them over, how to get their attention, how to get them interested in you. You ask all the questions, you know, do they like flowers? Do they like candy? Are they, are, are they like humor? Do they, are they a sports kind of person? Uh, you know, do, are they like to go to the movies? Are they the kind of girl who expects you to hold the car door open for them? You know, what, what is it that will get their attention? What is it that you could do to capture their heart? For me, it was a four-month journey that almost seemed perilous to win over my wife. But finally, the Lord intervened and changed her mind. But there's all these questions, right? Like, what am I going to do to win you over? And sometimes we think that's the same. That's true with God. Like, God, what do I got to do to get you on my team? What do I got to do to get your attention? What do I got to do to get you to love me? And we don't have to play that game with God. It is not a guessing game with God. It's not God playing catch me if you can. God has rather shown us how to find him, how to grow closer to him. How do you get closer to God? How do you grow? How do you get near to him? It's not a guessing game. He tells us. See, he has given us what theologians often call means of grace by which we can find him. We have the church. We have each, when I, don't, when I say the church, I don't mean this building. I mean we have each other. We have this book. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people tell me, man, you know, I just don't feel like God's speaking to me. Like, oh, really? Like you haven't opened the Bible in a while? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you mean? Like because he's literally written to us his very words in this book. And so if you want to meet God, just open the book and read it. He has given us baptism. He has given us the supper. He's given us the ways and means to know him. He's given us prayer. And one of the things that we need to come to terms with and realize is that you do not get to come to God on your own terms. You do not get to decide how you approach God. You do not get to decide how you get to grow in him and learn about him. You don't get to say, you know what? I don't really need church. I have church on the golf course. I don't need church. I have church out on the lake. I don't need church. I have it out on the ball field. You do not get to determine how you meet with God and replace what God has said. You meet me here with something else. God has given us specific ways that we can meet with him and grow closer to him. Boys often wish girls wish would girls would make it that easy. I wish my wife would have made it that easy. Well, if you want me, here's how you get me. But they don't, but God does. And see, the, these means of grace, they are not elaborate, fancy methods of getting closer to God. And to an outside observer, they do not seem special at all. After all, they make use of rather common things. Relationships, bread, wine, water. Words, books, 
but by faith and the work of the Spirit, these common elements are used in an extraordinary work, a supernatural work of God. God is not playing catch me if you can. He has given specific ways that we can find him. This is not, a, this is not meant to restrict access, but to identify where God's concentrated availability is. And the Lord's Supper is one of those things. The Lord's Supper is not a mere ritual that we practice. It is not a religious exercise. It is a gift from, to us from God so that we never have to guess where to find him. So this morning, I want to point out three things about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper helps us to remember the gospel, practice the gospel, and grow in the gospel. First, it helps us to remember the gospel. There is power in memory. Have you ever had a moment where you saw something or even smelled something or touched something or had some kind of deja vu moment that took you back? For me, it is the smell sometimes of of dense cigarette smoke that takes me back to New Year's Eve growing up when back when you used to smoke in the house and you know there's a cloud of smoke you get the new babies all around but there's just smoke everywhere all right and 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 we would my family would gather for for New Year's and we would have a ball and and no one knew any different that but when I smell that after I get done coughing it takes me there or when I smell the distinct smell of car grease, or when I hear the sound of a torque wrench, it takes me back growing up working in my grandfather's tire shop and all the great memories that I had there. It is amazing how uh, sounds and smells and even tastes and all of these things can take us back in a moment. It's almost as if we were really there, that we remember days gone by and people who are no longer with us and from that one smell, we're back there in, in a moment. If you've seen Harry Potter, you'll remember one of the things that happens in the books and the movies. There's this pool called the pensive. And Harry would stick his face down in the water and it would teleport him almost to, to this memory. That he would get to watch someone else's memory as if he was there. And the same is true when we smell or taste or see something that takes us back. It's as if for that, for that brief moment, we're there. You see, the Lord's Supper is a memory feast. As we take of the bread and of the wine, or as good Southern Baptists of the juice, it takes us to the past, reminding us of two things. One, that first moment we believed. That moment, whatever it was for you, whether whether it was this traumatic Paul on the road to Damascus style moment where, bam, the Lord just got your attention, or whether for you, you grew up and you can't really remember a moment you didn't believe, but it takes you back to those first times, maybe when you were baptized or when you first took the supper or when you first began to really believe. It takes us back then. It reminds us of his faithfulness every step of the way of our life. It reminds us that in the midst of times in our life where we were really struggling with particular sins, he was faithful. It reminds us that when we had moments and times of anxiety and worry or depression, he was faithful. It reminds us that in times of fear, he was faithful. And it reminds us of times of grief and of guilt, he was faithful. In this feast, we are reminded he's always been there every step of the way. 
we're also reminded of the cross. As we take this bread and this juice, we are reminded of the cross itself. The moment that his body hung on the cross and his blood was shed for us. In this memory feast, we are reminded that though my sin is great, his mercy is greater. You see, this Lord's Supper that we take and we're going to take today is an ordinary thing. It's just some crackers and just some juice that we went to Kroger's and bought. With an S, Kroger's with an S. But just like the smell of grease takes me back to my grandpa's shop, so does the Holy Spirit use this ordinary meal, this ordinary supper to take us back to Golgotha, to take us back to the the hill called the place of the skull, to show us Jesus high and lifted up on a cross, pouring out his blood for you, breaking his body for you. We get to take this memory meal so that we will never forget how much he loves us and the great lengths he was willing to go to prove it. See, the Lord's Supper is a memory feast, but it's also a sign. It's a sign. You know, we use signs every day, uh, or, or we should. You know, there's speed limit signs we're supposed to follow. This morning I was headed to church, and uh, Anthony graciously told me about a, a police officer hiding in a particular spot. So I would obey the sign. There are exit signs to tell you how to leave this building. There's signs in the mall that you can never find them when you need it. When you need the sign, the kiosk in the mall to know where Old Navy is, you can never find the kiosk, right? But it's there somewhere. Signs communicate to us. And we typically think of signs as something with words that we read, right? Like like an exit sign. But there are other signs that we use every day. We have physical things that we do that communicate something. A handshake, eye contact, the head nod. Y'all know about the head nod? What's up? You know what I'm saying? Like, we communicate so much in that head nod. It's more than just, hey, it's like, you my bro, man. What's up, dog? You know what I'm saying? Like, we communicate in that. My wife has now perfected the art of communicating to me with only emojis. I'll get a string of like eight emojis, and I'm going to, I've got to like interpret. It's like like Egyptian, you know, hieroglyphics. I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 okay. Right? It's just like this art for it. It's like, yeah, I got what you're saying. And she communicates through emojis. We, husbands and wives, husbands and wives communicate through kissing often. Ew, ew, gross, right? Good, good. When I, when I was growing up, I played a lot of baseball and um, enjoyed baseball a lot. And uh, if you know much about baseball, the third baseman, the third base coach is always over there doing this. Right? And, and the batter's like, got it, coach. You know, he's ready. He, like, he, he, there was a sign the coach gave and he got it. Well, for us, we thought we were going to be real tricky. Bruce, you should steal this. And so this is the universal sign for swing away, right? Just, hey, hey, swing away, man. You got this, right? Swing away. This means hit the ball. Well, for us, this meant bunt. All right, tricky, right? That's good. That's good, right? So bunt. So we do a bunch of stuff. All right, here we go. It's bunt. Right? And so it was a sign. And so when we got that, we knew it meant something. It communicated to us. But if you don't know baseball, you just popped up and saw this guy doing this, you'd be like, what in the world is this guy doing? Like, what is going, why is, he, why is he doing all of this stuff? But it's a language that if you know it, it speaks to you. 
if you know the language it speaks. Kissing. Ew. If you think about it, it's a weird thing. Like, I don't know who came up with the idea, but it's not very hygienic. And when you're a kid and you see, like, on the movies, like, real kissing, you're like, for the first time, you're like, oh, my gosh. Yuck. Oh, it's so gross. Right? And it freaks you out. And it is this gross, weird, and it would seem a meaningless thing until you understand what someone is saying when they kiss you. That it's a sign. That it communicates. You see, there is no power in acts in and of themselves, but when you know what the act or the sign says, it means something. When my wife kisses me, I know that she is telling me she loves me. And I know when she means it and when she doesn't. You know what I'm saying? See, the Lord's Supper is a sign. It communicates something to those who understand what it's communicating. Like, imagine for a moment that aliens were real. I wish they were real. That'd be so cool. But imagine aliens were real, and an alien came down and was just watching us take the Lord's Supper here in a little bit. And they, what would they think? They'd think, man, those people don't eat very much. <laughs> right? They don't eat very much. They would have no idea what the Lord's Supper meant. But when you know the one who is giving the sign, and you know what they are saying in the sign, it speaks to you. There was a 16th century theologian who said this. You do not get any different Christ in the Lord's Supper than you get in the preaching of the word. You don't get a better Christ in the supper than in the preaching of the word, but you might get the same Christ better. You may get a hold of Christ better because in this little dramatic event, God is saying to you, I love you and here is the ring to prove it. Let me place it on your finger. You see, like a kiss or a wedding ring are signs telling us something about the one who loves us. So the Lord's Supper is a sign and is a declaration from God to you that you are loved by God. And don't you even doubt it for a second. Take my body, take my blood, and remember and know that I am your God and you are my people. I love you. It's like it's a huge neon sign of God reminding to us again and again his love for us, that we are his. But we should also note that it is a physical reminder, and that is important, because we are not just cerebral creatures. We're not just thinking people. We are, we are people who have emotions and wills, and we see, and we touch, and we taste, and we hear. And we, we hear the gospel, right, when, when the preaching of the word comes to us, and that's good, and we need that. Preaching is good. We need it. Okay, please. All right. But God, in his grace, has given us something that we can touch, that we can see, and that we can taste. We need to hear the gospel, but often our faith is weak and we, we doubt God's love for us. We struggle. We think, could he forgive me for this? We need to hear the gospel, but we also need to taste it. And so God has said in his grace, let me give you something you can put in your hands, that you can put in your mouth, that you can taste. And so in those moments when, when we don't feel very loved by God, when, we, when God seems distant, when we think, how could he ever forgive us? The Lord's Supper comes to us as a physical reminder to remind us of his love and what he did for us. Taste and see and be reminded, hold it in your hands. Like when doubting Thomas, the disciple, does not believe that Jesus is indeed alive, rose from the dead. 
Jesus graciously says, Thomas, give me your hand. Touch the scars in my hands. Touch the scar in my side. See, touch me and know that it's me. Jesus doesn't go to Thomas like, how could you? How could you not believe, Thomas? He's gracious and slow and patient. And he says, here, touch. It's okay. So does God, gracious, giving it to us, this meal. You may think, Brent, that's crazy. This is just bread and juice. It has no power to heal me or help me in my doubt, help me when I doubt that God could love me. How could bread and juice do that? See, when the Spirit of God, who, 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 who could raise the dead, raise Jesus from the dead, when that same Spirit meets you in this supper, it has power. At every turn in the Bible, we see God is in the business of taking ordinary things and making them extraordinary. That's what he does. And the supper is no different. It is not religious observance. It is a physical reminder of a deep spiritual truth that forgiveness is yours. You have it right now if you are in Christ. So in your doubt and in your struggle, when you touch and smell and taste the forgiveness of the, of the gospel, you, you are reminded and believe again. See, God comes down and meets us in the taking of the supper. It reminds us of the gospel. But two, we practice, as we take it, we practice the gospel. God has given us this gospel feast and the supper to help us remember the gospel, but also to practice it. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says this, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. See, one of the pictures of the supper that we don't often get to experience is to eat from the same loaf. That there's one loaf of bread and we all take from that same loaf because we are one body. We don't often get to experience that because often we're worried about time, right? Because we got to get to lunch, you know what I'm saying? And we don't want it to take forever. And so instead we buy these crackers and we pass it out. And so we kind of miss that symbolism. But it is still there that we are one new family in Christ, that those of us who used to be alienated and divided because of race, because of social class, because of economic status or whatever, have been brought together as one new family. I want you to think about this. Like this is something that I think we miss a lot and I think is so important. I want you to just, I mean, just think about the, all the people in the room right now. Like, there are people in their 80s, and there are people who can't speak yet, who can't walk yet. There are people in this room who make a lot of money, and there are people who struggle every week to put food on their plate. There are people who are really popular, who is that kid you couldn't stand in high school because everyone liked them. And there are people in here who hate people and don't want to be around people and are nerds. There are smart people and less smart people, also known as dumb people. In this room are all these different kinds of people. And we are all here because of one truth, Jesus. If it were not for him, we would never be in the same room together. Isn't that a special, beautiful thing? And sometimes it, sometimes it breaks my heart that we always segregate, right? Like we've got children's Sunday school and youth Sunday school and old people's Sunday school and young adult Sunday school and middle-aged Sunday school and upper middle-aged, like, that's why I, like, I want us to be together because we are of the same family. We should more often look like Thanksgiving dinner or a family reunion when there's one big long table and every generation is there. 
There's no kids' table. We're all at the same table. We're one new family. And as we take the supper, the one loaf is a picture that we are one body, one family. Of everything that could divide us, everything that could separate us, no longer does in Christ. No longer does in Christ. I think that's important. It's special. Do you know what is so special when you actually have Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner uh, or when you go to lunch on, at, after church on Sundays or uh, when you just get together for cookouts in the backyard? We love those times, right? Like we love getting together, having cookouts. Have, like we're Baptists. We eat, right? We love eating. But do you know what it is we love about it? It's not the food, mostly. It's the people we share the food with. Think about this. Ruth Chris, if you've ever been, I've been one time because I got a gift card from somebody, is amazing food. But to go to Ruth Chris alone robs you of the experience. It is unsatisfying and kind of empty because you will say, wow, what a great steak. But with no one to share the experience with, it robs you of the joy. The point is we were made for fellowship. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. It is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation of the body of Christ? That word there, participation, is the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. See, the Lord's Supper is not a time for you as an individual to just, hey, it's just me and God right here. Just me and you. All right, it's not that. The Lord's Supper is a time of unity. It is a feast that brings us together. That's why we don't take it when we have a problem with someone else. If you're here and, you, and you've got unforgiveness and bitterness and anger in your heart towards someone, you shouldn't take it until you go and forgive them. Because we are one new body, united under Christ. The supper is a reminder that because of the gospel, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with each other. The supper is gospel practice because we are practicing the very thing God has done for us. He has forgiven us and restored us to himself with no conditions. And now there is no ill feelings between us and God. And in the same way, there should be no ill feelings between us. You should forgive, you should mend. And the gospel gives us the freedom to do that, right? Because the gospel gives me the freedom to look at the worst parts of me and know, yeah, I mess it up all the time. I screw it up all the time. I'm broken all the time. It gives us the freedom to own that because God's still going to love us. So it gives us the freedom to go to a brother and say, brother, I wronged you. Forgive me. And it frees us up to look at them in the eyes and say, brother, you are forgiven. And leave hand in hand. The Lord's Supper helps us to practice the gospel. But also, we are acting out the gospel and simply taking it. In the taking of these elements, we acknowledge our need of them. It is a time of confession, of confessing our sin and that we need a savior. We don't need this meal because everything's okay. We need it because we're not okay. There's this great story uh, about this Scottish pastor who, who was giving out the Lord's Supper at this small church in Scotland. And he had this uh, woman in his congregation who said, no, pastor, I can't take it. I'm, I'm too much of a sinner. 
And in like a good Scottish accent, he looks her in the eyes and he says, take it, lassie. It's for sinners. Because that's who it's for. It's not for the people who got their act together. It's for the people who don't have their act together. Like we need to like take our masks off and own that. Like it's okay. That's why we're here in this room. Because we're selfish and messed up and broken and angry and bitter. And we break it all the time. And taking the Lord's Supper, we confess our need for God. But it's also proclamation, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is not simply the sermon that proclaims the gospel. It is you, the congregation, through the taking of this meal, are preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Often churches like ours have the deacons hand out the elements, and that is a good and fine thing to do. But it's not as if it's only the holy men who can hand out the elements. It's not prescribed in the Bible that the deacons have to do it. But it is good as we pass it to one another. It is good as we hand it to one another because we are proclaiming the gospel and handing it out. I, one of the, I, I love, there's things I love about passing it out. And there's things I love about coming up and getting it. And one of the things I love about coming up and getting it is that we make every person who hands it out say to you, as you take the juice, his blood poured out for you. And every time you take a cracker, his body broken for you. And as you take the elements and hear that, as they proclaim the gospel over you, man, it sinks deep in your heart. That's why the, taking the Lord's Supper is proclaiming the gospel. It's your family proclaiming to you, remember God's love. When we feast on this meal together and explain what it means, and we, say to, and we say to people, hey, this is not for everyone. So theologians call this fencing the table. So at the end, when I say, hey, listen, this may not be for you this morning because you may not be converted. You may not be a follower of Jesus. You may not be in Christ. And so don't take this. We are proclaiming the gospel that everyone is not already on the trajectory to heaven. But you must come in faith. You must come in faith and bow your knees to Jesus as king. And then this meal is for you, but it's not for everyone. And so when we do that, we proclaim the gospel. The Lord's Supper is an amazing opportunity. Parents, listen to me. The Lord's Supper is an amazing opportunity on a regular basis for you to have gospel conversations with your unbelieving children. Sometimes we have this thing in our minds, guys, where we, we love our children and they're sweet and they're cute and they're innocent, sort of. So you get home with them. But we look at them like they're believers when they're not. They're not believers. They're not a part of the faith until they come and believe the promises of God for themselves. So as that plate is passed and you don't let them have it, and they look at you and they say, Mommy, why can't I have some? What better opportunity? Like they just, here's a layup, Right? Well, honey, let me tell you why you can't have it. Because you must believe for yourself. Mommy can't, daddy can't believe for you. You must believe in Christ for yourself and follow him for yourself. What an opportunity. What an opportunity for a conversation. Parents, please use that. Imagine each week your child had seen that plate pass them by and they don't get it. 
Imagine the conversations it opens up. The Lord's Supper is a gospel reminder, it is gospel practice, and it is gospel proclamation. And we grow in the gospel when we take it. Research shows us that 21 days of doing something forms a habit. But what we often don't realize is that habits, habits shape our hearts. We often think of habits very narrowly. Like we think about smoking as a habit. We think about picking your nose as a habit. When my beard gets too long, I got a bad habit of picking out my mustache, right? Uh, we clean my ears and my glasses. Y'all think it's really gross, but I do it all the time. My wife hates it. Twirling your hair, we think of that as a habit. Biting your nails, drinking coffee in the morning. These habits shape our hearts, sure, but so does every little seemingly innocent thing we do every single day. The habits of going to the mall, the habits of shopping, the habits of television, the habits of social media use, the habits of what we post, the habits of how we speak to our wife and how we speak to our children. Every single little thing we do shapes our hearts. And what the Lord's Supper does is begin to unshape the bad habits and form new ones, form gospel habits. I played baseball for years growing up, and so golf for me is really hard. I just want to swing it like this. Squish the bug. You know what I'm saying? Squish the bug. And so my golf swing's terrible because I can't unlearn that habit that's so grained in my muscles. But the Lord's Supper counters and reshapes our heart. The Lord's Supper, like these other means of grace that we, that we talked about at the beginning, is a gospel habit that reshapes our hearts into the image, out of the image of the world and into the image of Christ. As we come, repetition again and again and again to the Lord's table to take this meal he's prepared, it reminds us again of the gospel. We proclaim the gospel in it. We're, the gospel goes deeper into our hearts through it. As we confess through it, as we remind our forgiveness through it, the habit itself forms us without us even realizing it. Spirit uses it to reform our hearts. It is unwinding the knots. It is saying the spell backward. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm a big advocate of taking the Lord's Supper every week. And sometimes when I bring that up to people, they say, oh, but it wouldn't be special anymore, Brent. To which I always respond, if Jesus invited you to lunch every day, would it become not special anymore? You may fear that if we did it so often, it wouldn't be special or that it would lose its meaning or become mundane, but it is, it is precisely the repetition of taking the supper that God uses to reform our hearts. There is power working in you through the meal, even when you don't sense it. Sometimes we have this youth camp or revival idea that unless I'm moved to tears, unless I'm just got butterflies in my tummy and just overwhelmed emotion that I didn't experience God, but rather God is taking the repetitious and or the ordinary and mundane things that we do over and over and over again to change us and make us like Jesus, to reshape our hearts. So that we used to long for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, but now through the gospel with new hearts, we long for the fruit of the vine of the tree of life. And final thing, this meal is an appetizer. One of the things that's always so hard to do when you're with a group of people is decide where you're going to eat, right? 
No one can decide. Half the people want Chinese, which is nasty. Half the people want Mexican food, which is okay, depending. Um, everyone wants Chick-fil-A, but it's closed on Sunday, so you can't go over there for lunch, right? And so we're like, where do we go? Where do we go? No, no, no. Well, one major factor in the decision is do they have free bread, right? If they got free bread, everybody, you can say, hey, we can go to Charlie's. They got free bread. Oh, that's right, right? Usually when I go to those places, I fill up on the bread before my meal gets there. But the Lord's Supper is like the bread. It's an appetizer. The one we may eat for years, but will never fill us up because we are waiting the true feast. The bread that is just an appetizer, but we are awaiting where we will feast with Jesus in full. Matthew 26, 29 says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with my father in my father's kingdom. This supper points us both backward to the gospel, to the cross, but also forward to its consummation. It is an appetizer that is pointing us to the feast that is to come. This morning, I hope you will see that the Lord's Supper I hope you'll see it with new and fresh eyes because this seemingly ordinary meal is actually anything but ordinary because God chooses to meet us in it. And until he will meet us again in full in the days to come, and on that day, we will sit at the banquet table of the king and we will sit at his right hand and his left. We will sit as, as his sons and daughters at his table and we will feast with our king, with our brother, Jesus. See, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper, we come before the Lord with hearts of faith and with the purpose of repentance, setting no precondition on God, but welcoming his lordship over all of our lives. As we take this gospel feast together, remember that while you were still a sinner, a rebel against God, going your own way, Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was poured out for you so that you could be forgiven and restored and made new and be with him forever. As you eat, remember the past, proclaim the gospel, and remember the day that is coming. This meal says something about our past and it gives us great hope for the future. As we prepare to take this meal, if you are not a follower of Jesus, maybe, maybe you believe in God, maybe you like church, maybe you got nothing against God, but you would be here and you've never been baptized, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, this meal is not for you. Instead, after we're done here, I'd love to t- talk to you and tell you about how you can follow him. He'll take you and it's real easy. But don't take this meal if that's not you. Children, If you've never been baptized, this meal is not for you. One of the things that was funny during the Good Friday service was uh, the deacons had a false start. Took it too soon, which is my fault. I didn't tell them. So we're going to take this together. I know we do this all kinds of different ways, so let me me be clear. We're going to pass out the elements. Hold them. Don't take them on your own. And then we're going to sing a song. I want you to sit there and reflect on the Lord, reflect on your life, reflect on what the Lord's done in your life, his goodness and his grace toward you. And after the song, we'll come back and we'll take it all together as one body.
Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and talk about a thing that can be so ritualistic, can be so mundane and so ordinary. But God, we pray that you would give us new and fresh eyes on the Lord's Supper this morning. We pray that you would have taught us anew and help us to see it afresh. And that as we take the bread and as we uh, eat, eat the bread and drink the wine, God, that you would would take the gospel deep into our hearts, that you would make us more like Jesus, that you would remind us that even though we've failed miserably this week, even though uh, we've hurt other people's feelings, that we've uh, talked behind people's backs, that we've lied, cheated, and stealed, no matter what we've done, that your grace is still sufficient for us. No matter the anxiety that we might have, no matter the hurt that we may have, that the gospel is still for us. So let us take it. Remember the gospel. Let us proclaim the gospel and let us look forward to what you will do. God, we love you in Christ and we pray all as people said. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood that said me free praise the one who died for me took my place on the his name my death is paid for my pardon this I see nothing but the blood of Jesus for my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood that set me free. Praise the one who died for me, who took my place on the cross. Praise his name. 
did is This is all my hope and peace Nothing but the blood of Jesus And this is all my righteousness Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, the blood that set me free took my place on the road. Praise His name. My dead is Glory. Glory, glory. Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's close just singing this this hymn together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
What can we hold again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me mine. Guys, it's been a joy to be with you this morning. You're our guest this morning. Just so grateful that you are here. I'd love to get a chance to meet you real quick. I'm going to be standing in the back right through these doors. love to shake your hand, hear your name, um, and uh, get a second to meet you. Uh, hope you guys have a great week. Peace be with you.